0: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is LPGA player and legend Gail Graham. Let me remind you about Gail's background. She's from Vanderhoof, British Columbia in Western Canada. She played her college golf at Lamar University, where she was a four-year letterman and an academic All-American in 1986. She was a member of their 1983 team that finished seventh in the NCAA Division I National Championship. She was inducted into the Lamar University Hall of Honor in February of 2000. Gal finished fifth in the Canadian Amateur Championship in 1985 and won the Manitoba Amateur Championship and the SMU Fall Classic that same year. She was a member of the Canadian Commonwealth Championship team in 1987. She turned pro in 88 and won the Manhattan Futures Classic title that year. She qualified for the LPGA Tour in 1990 by finishing fifth at the LPGA Final Qualifying Tournament. She got her first win on tour at the 1995 Fieldcrest Cannon Open by two strokes over Tammy Green. She won again in 97 at the Australian Ladies' Masters by one stroke over Kari Webb. In 1988, she won the Canadian PGA Women's Championship. And in 2001, she became the first non-American president of the LPGA Tour. In 2002, she was awarded the William and Mousy Powell Award, which is given annually to the LPGA player whose behavior and deeds exemplifies the spirit, ideals, and values of the LPGA Tour. In 2008, she was inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame. In 2015, she was inducted into the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame. You can now see her out on the LPGA Legends Tour and in Golf Tips Magazine as a part of their Top 25 Instructors, or with my good friend Tom Patrick down in Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida, teaching the game. And I'm very honored. She is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Gail, thanks for joining me again.
1: My pleasure. It's always fun to, to listen to you talk about my past, <laughs> and it's it's way past. It's <laughs> a so heck of a past. Wow, I did that. I did that. <laughs>
0: I appreciate the shout-out. Absolutely. (laughs) So, Gail, before we get into, you know, some playing lessons for our listeners, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. First of all, with the state of the women's game, you know, for me, I think the game is in probably as good a shape as it's been since the 80s and maybe the 90s. You look at the the 2020 season, we've got 33 official tour events coming up this year. Total prize money is going to be. A little over 75 million, so that's one more event and five million more dollars in prize money than we had this year. Talk about your thoughts. How do you feel about where we're at?
1: I think the LPGA is in a really great spot, and and I think one of the greatest pieces of news that came out of the CME Group Tour Championship uh, in a week and a half ago in in Naples was the the signing of Mike Wan to an extended uh, contract um With the LPGA, I, I ran into a couple of the board members and they were thrilled to have that happen because he has taken the LPGA on a, a pretty sharp curve upwards uh since he has been there. And, and uh, he's one that thinks outside the box. And so he he's added a lot of flair to things that the LPGA has done and over the past 10 years. And I can't believe that actually he's been there for 10 years. I was the president of the Tournament Owners Association when he was named commissioner uh and it was on a, a Thursday and i think he did some press on a Friday and on Saturday morning he flew from New York out to San Bernardino, California and showed up at our meeting and asked if it was okay if he came and it was a good start wow. and um it it's been a great run ever since um you know he he's the kind of guy that that takes his tie off and sits down and listens and and is is a is a very shrewd businessman but at the same time he makes his constituents feel very comfortable and um it's really great news that he's going to be there long term because I think um you've got some things happening in the near future with the LPGA with a new television contract coming up um it'll kind of align with the PGA Tour's television contract so it's it's nice timing and and uh, I think they're getting some help from the PGA Tour in terms of negotiating that so you know that that's only going to push the LPGA further forward too and um you know talk about the players there's such a diversity in the players and and to see the leaderboard at the CME, um, was, amazing. What the names that were up and down and up and down and in it and out of it and in it. And it was very exciting. Alexi you know, had a great week and, and, um, you know, all of the name players that you expected to the Brooke Henderson's and, and obviously, um, the young lady who won the skim and, you know, great, great players, um, and really dynamic and, and fun to watch. Um, and I do think that there's, you know, the American public, I still think needs to embrace the players a little bit more and just get to know them. Um, you know, if you go to an event, it's amazing how accessible the players are and how much fun they are and how much they will engage with you even while they're playing in the middle of their round. And, um, so it's, I, I think it's a great thing to be able to, um, have that group of players for Mike Wan to be able to push forward and, and take to the next level. Um, you know, Solheim Cup this year was just unbelievable and, uh, you know, it's, it's a, the LPGA is in such a great spot. Um, you know, we're a global tour and it's interesting to watch the PGA tour now start to become more global. Um, they've got a couple of events over in Asia now that they didn't have a few years ago. So, um, we're one step ahead of them there, but you know, they're on the upswing. They got lots of great, great things happening. And, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the next few years to watch them.
0: You mentioned Brooke Henderson and we, We've got golf back in the Olympics next summer. I, I think we all expect to see Brooke Henderson representing your home country of Canada there. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know a lot of people high on Elena Sharp to be a part of that Canadian team as well. She's coming off a strong season. Talk about both of them and and uh, getting golf back into the Olympics once again.
1: Definitely, they are they are the forerunners for our Olympic team, and I and I, I don't think. They'll count themselves as shoe-ins, but certainly they, uh, someone really has to come, you know, out of the blue to, to unseed them from being on that team. During the week of the CME, Elena st- actually stayed with me. And so we had a few conversations about the Olympics and, and the end of the year and what she's accomplished this year and what she's looking forward to next year. And I, um, one of my dear friends, Bob Weeks from, from TSN up in Canada had remarked that, you know, what a great year. And it looks like she's, on track for a great 2020. And I kind of feel like Elena's ready for a total breakout year. There's a lot of stuff that she's let go of um, golf related, you know, outside of golf that have sort of bogged her down a little bit. And, and she's, she's free of all that. And she's, she's playing good golf and she's knowledgeable about her own game and her swing. And she can make the changes she needs to make fairly quickly. And, you know, on the golf course to be able to score and, um, you know, I think, you know, one good break in a, in a tournament and we know how those bounces go one good bounce and, and she could be well on her way to having just a standout year in 2020. And, um, obviously Brooke has been a, you know, a huge highlight for Canadian fans. And she is such a great individual that you, you know, no matter how she plays, you're wishing for her to play well, because she's just great to watch. She's a really good person down in her heart. And, um, you know, when she, it's fun to watch her, I think, when she gets a little mad and you don't see that very often. She doesn't show that emotion very often, but when she does, boy, she turns it into something. I've watched her shoot 74 one day and be really unhappy with herself. Um, and come back the next day, shoot 64, 65, just, just that spurn. And, you know, she tapped into that. I think this time last year, I, I had said that she needed to work hard on her putting. And improve on her putting, and she did a great job of that this year. So, you know, it's just putting all the pieces together. And I, I think that as a team, uh, you know, going into the Olympic year, um, Elena and and Brooke really mesh well together. They were there in Rio together. Um, Elena has been quite a mentor to Brooke. Um, they're very close friends. They look out for each other, and and so it's really fun to see not not only Brooke and and uh, Elena, but um, Sarah Bowman, Elena's partner and caddy, and then Brittany um uh, Brooke's sister, all mesh together and and be there, co and coexist as a team. They're excited to be with each other and play for each other and play for Canada. So I think you know Canada's got a pretty good shot. I think going into the 2020 Olympics.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, right? I mean, the Asian women are so strong. I was curious to get yes. your thoughts. Can the, can the Canadian team or the U.S. team give them a run?
1: On any given week, you know, on, on any given week you get. You get going on on a golf course that suits your eye and you start seeing lines with putts um, and it could be anybody's week. Um, you know, certainly the Korean team is going to be very, very strong. Um, they, they've they got such depth in their players that anyone could come off the bench and be a great fill in for anyone else. And, um, you know, I'm not sure N B Park, who was Olympic gold medalist, will even be part of the conversation for this next Olympics simply because of their depth. Um, I do think the Americans have a, an excellent chance. Um, you've got, you've got Lexi playing some great golf. You've got the Corda sisters, Nelly being the highest ranked, um, American player now. I, I think there's more and more depth on the American side. Uh, you look at some of those players that came through in the, in the Solheim Cup, the Brittany Altamare, um, the Allie McDonald's, you know, and, and the younger, the younger players, I think you're going to see Jarina Pillar come back. Um, after having a baby last year, also Stacy Lewis, and, and be part of that conversation. So there again, I think the Americans have some serious depth um from which to to go by, and hopefully be a part of that uh, podium as well.
0: Continuing the, the thought about Brooke and, and and what she's meant to the game, I know she was recognized with the Founders Award at this year's LPGA Awards ceremony. That's an award you won back when it was known as the William and Mousie Powell Award talk about what that award meant to you and uh what it was like then seeing uh Brooke win the same one
1: that was i was so proud of her um you know you're up there to compete and and you're not necessarily vying for the good wishes of your fellow competitors but when you when you have your own peers voting for you in something like that um it really it really hits close to home because you realize that you're not only are you doing a good job with your own performance on the golf course, but you're really taking hold of what the LPGA is and, and the things that you should be doing. Um, I remember when, in 1990, when I was a rookie, Kathy Whitworth standing up in a players meeting and saying, you must leave the LPGA a better place than when you got here. And so, and I know Mike Wan preaches that to his players and, and that's what, you know, that's what the founders were about. They worked very hard to grow the game outside of their own competitive careers. They they did everything they needed to do to make the LPGA better. And, you know, a player like Brooke who, you know, signs autographs and does all the media stuff and is there for extra pro-ams and is there for sponsor meetings and and is willing to give her time and, and just be herself um, outside of the ropes is really super important. And then when you take it inside the ropes, you know, the performance level is outstanding. Um and and you then have that combined with just the good person that she is and it's it's just amazing for that to happen. Um I choked with one of the with flagship golf up in Canada and uh about that uh Lori Kane and I had both won the award before Brooke came along. So we felt like we Lori and I feel like we set a good example. <laughs> it's been a few years since we both have been out there but It's nice to know, you know, it's pretty cool to think three Canadians have won that award. I think that speaks to our our core values as a nation. Um, And we're not sorry about it, so I won't say I'm sorry, but I think it's great. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road she won it again, simply because of of just who she is and, and what she gives back to the game.
0: Gail, a moment ago you talked about accessibility of players, and that is certainly a thing. On the LPGA Tour, but it's you know, taken up another notch for the LPGA Legends Tour that you're a part of. I think one of the great things about the Legends Tour is how accessible you, know, you and the other ladies are. I mean, you talk about it um, mid-round. but well, you guys are right out there amongst the gallery, interacting with them <laughs> through the course of the round, before the round, after the round. Talk about the LPGA Legends Tour.
1: Well, you know, we got to, we got to keep those fans out there coming and watching us. So it's, we want to be very nice to them so that they'll return. But, uh, you know, one of the great places that we play is French Lick and, and that Pete Dye golf course is one of the toughest golf courses I've ever played. And, um, we have people come out to watch us out there and, and it's a tough walk around that golf course for a spectator. It's a tough walk for us, but it's a tough walk for the spectators and they're out there following along and, um, in enjoying it. And, you know, even, I would say even to the players, it, you know, for us interacting with, with each other, I think we are more accessible to each other than we were ever were when we were on tour. Um, when I first went out on the Legends tour, I was playing a practice round up at Indusbrook, I think it was with, uh, Don Co Jones and Nancy Scranton and Pat Bradley was in the group in front of us and we were on a par three and she waved us up. And the next thing I you know, she was, she, we had hit, but she got in her cart and she drove back to us. And she came over and she welcomed me to the Legends Tour because it was my first event. And then she apologized wow. to me. And she said, Gail, I want to let you know that even though in all the years that I was on tour, I always called you pro and called everyone else pro. Um, I, I always knew your name. You know, I was, I was, I was happy for you when you hit good shots. I was happy for you when you played good rounds, but I didn't want to get personal because that I felt like that was my competitive edge. And she said, "I kind of regret it now because I see now being out here how much more accessible I uh, I can be and still play good golf." And I was blown away because you know we used to bug her actually. We said, "You don't know my name, do you?" Because she'd play four hours worth, or she'd get in the in the scoring tent and say, "Hey, pro, that was a great round." And it's like, "Well, you're signing my scorecard. Surely you know my name." So we <laughs> joked with her about it. And and so now I never call her Pat. I always call her Pro. Every time I see her, I'm like, Hey, pro, just to kind of give her a little jab back, but it's kind of fun. But, but I think you're right. I think the, the accessibility factor is really important. And, and, you know, we grew up in that era where, where the fans were close to us. Um, you know, they're getting, they're getting bigger groups of, of galleries in there now that makes it a little less that way, but it, it surely doesn't, you know, hinder you from saying hello to somebody or shaking someone's hand or signing an autograph and, It, you know, it's not so disturbing that it's going to take you out of your rhythm. It really isn't. So, um, there are some players that won't, and, and that's true of any sport, but, um, I think the accessibility factor is really important. Um, the women's game has always had that. And I think you see it a little more on the PGA tour now with some of the younger guys and how they interact more with the crowd than, than they ever used to. Um, there was a period of time where, you know, I didn't like going to PGA tour events because, I'm not sure those guys ever even saw that there were people in the gallery. They were just so, um had blinders on. And I think there's been sort of resurgence of having that, knowing that that these are the people that we're performing for and we're entertaining and we should be doing that. So, But, you know, we get out there to French Lick and, and at the U.S. Senior Women's Open, they actually, there's not many ropes. You could actually walk down the fairway with the players. Um So it's kind of fun to be right there on top of it and hear them. Um You know, hear what they have to say and hear them when they get mad, and you hear them when they get excited and and um I certainly enjoy it it's way more fun having somebody close in there than so far away that you're not sure that they appreciate the shot that you just hit when they're standing right next to you. they can really appreciate it so um I think it's a great thing that that the legends tour does um really reach out to their players and be be on top of just being yourself and and allowing the fans into your game. Um, and I think it's, you know, the LPGA does a great job of
0: that also. Gail, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you before I let you go. <laughs> and, and you wrote sure. you wrote an article in, uh, in, in one of your blogs that uh, you see so many men swinging too hard. And I think we see the guys <laughs> out on the PGA Tour do it. And, you know, we all want to hit, you know, long shot. We want to drive it, you know, a million miles and all that sort of stuff. So now we're all sort of swinging out of our shoes. What should we sure. be focused on? Well, it's,
1: it's interesting you say that because I just went to a, a Mach 3 speed training course. And we, there, there, the, the sort of the talk was that you want your speed out in front of you. So actually this morning I, I was on the range with a, a member of SMAD and I'm, she <laughs> she had said to me, boy, I put a lot of effort into that and it didn't go anywhere. So the effort needs to be in the right places and the effort needs to be effortless. That that it sounds crazy but um Jim Collins who was my one of my very first teachers at St. Charles Country Club in in Winnipeg I can remember him saying to me cuz I'd asked he he had this beautiful golf swing that he still does he's 81 this beautiful rhythmical golf swing very classic sort of Payne Stewart type of golf swing and he called it practiced nonchalance. So it looked like you were really nonchalant about what you were doing, but you had to practice it you had to you had to be comfortable with taking a swing that didn't have you coming out of your shoes but had your timing and your rhythm and your rotation in the correct sequence that allowed you to create the most clubhead speed. Um, I do a lot of of training with the students that I work with on tempo and just trying to feel their tempo and feel where the speed should be coming um I think when a lot of people try to swing hard, they swing very hard from the top of their swing, from their transition down to the ball. And and the ball is not the target. The target is the target. So you want to swing through the ball to your target and have that speed increasing as you get to the ball and go through it. And that will actually take you up to a really nice high finish in balance. But if you swing very hard from the top and quickly from the top, you're going to Put all your, your, your center of gravity up in your upper body and you're going to lose your balance very easily. So I, I think, you know, using, thinking about your tempo and slowing down your tempo a little bit in, in your backswing. You need to understand that when you slow your tempo down in your backswing, you will get faster on the way through as long as you swing through the ball and to the target. And I think that's one of the things that I see what people get that they can finally sort of buy into it and And learn how to do it and learn how to feel it on the driving range. And then you have to learn how to translate it onto the golf course. And I think you have to do that by really simplifying things and, and, you know, working it down to, uh, you know, a, a vision 54 idea that you should have one sensory, maybe two, one or two sensory things that you have in your play box when you're actually getting over the ball, hitting it. That, that is an awareness. It's not really a thought. It's, a, I feel this. Um, the same woman that I taught this morning, she, she knew that if she felt a bit of a, um, a stretch in her, in the left side of her back, in her lats, if she felt that in her backswing, then she knew she made a good rotation. Then she could just go for it on the way through the golf ball and the club would return to where, you know, the starting point. And, um, this is a, a lady who is a very much beginner is a, she's an iron woman, so she's she's run the Iron man, so she understands her body and as soon as we got talking about swinging it all the way and and returning it you know into a high position in the finish and turning it rotating her body through and using that speed through the golf ball rather than to the golf ball, wow, she started hitting eight iron you know over a hundred yards, which is awesome um you know so i I think we we have to practice the technical part of things um and and learn and then tag te- you know tempo being one of those technical things that you have in your golf swing but then you have to learn how to translate it to the golf course and i think that's one of the key things that i i put people get so frustrated with is they can't get it to the golf course so it's one thing to stand there on the range and do it but you have to actually practice to get it out on the golf course and um that's where i like to do that i like to get them out there and talk them through it and and let them see that wow i can do this on the golf course and all, and it changes their whole game, and that's
0: a lot of fun. One of the other things that you've written about in your blog is regarding chipping. It's, it's really, you know, chipping with intention, and I think that's something a lot of we amateurs struggle with. We, we sort of commit to the shot, and then we get over the ball, and we become indecisive, and we decelerate, and the next thing you know, we chunk it, and it comes up short. How do we do better? At right.
1: Well, one of the things that I love to do, and I do this with my game, and I really think that my chipping and pitching is better now than it ever was when I was on tour. Um, I had a good short game, but boy, I wish I had my short game that I had now back then. Um, I'm always looking for a, a place to land the ball. And, and when I look at a chip shot, the, one of the first things that I'll do is look to see where halfway is to the hole. If halfway is on the green, um, I, I'm going to then go to using pitching wedge because I, I find that pitching wedge in, with a chip shot, a pitching wedge will fly about halfway and it'll roll about halfway. And so, if I can do that and and use a use a shot that gets the ball on the ground, landing on the green faster, so or sooner. Um If I try to hit sand wedge, I may need to fly it about two thirds to three quarters of the way. I have to be far more precise in what I'm doing. So if you can use a lower lofted club and you you look at that spot, okay, where's halfway to the hole, and try to land the ball halfway to the hole, your results will be much better. A lot of the amateurs that I teach, and I know that Tom Patrick teaches as well, will stand there and look at it and the ball flies to the hole every time. And then they end up with a 15 or 20 footer coming back. And it almost doesn't occur to them that they need to land the ball short and let it finish at the hole. And... So that's, you know, one of my key mantras is finding that spot and using a little bit of a, um, a little, uh, algorithm, if, uh, uh, for lack of a better word to, to find what club to hit. Um, the, the faster you can get the ball on the ground, if you've got a quarter of the way gets the ball on the ground, then lower loft is a better idea. If you've got more, uh, stuff to fly over, let's say a bunker or rough or just fairway, to land it on the green, then you're going to have to take that higher lofted club. But making the right club choice based on where you want the ball to land makes the dispersion rate and come right in. And you'll all of a sudden instead of having 15 footers for your your first putt on the green, you're going to have 10 footers and then 5 footers and then 2 footers. So you're going to get that ball coming in closer and closer to the hole. Um, you know, chipping. I think the one thing that helps you do that, and I think, is a total miss by most amateurs is using your eyes. If you stand there with a golf ball in your hand and you look at the spot you want to land the ball on and you underhand toss that ball, pretty much every time you're going to come pretty darn close to that spot because you're reacting. And in in amateur golf and in recreational golf, we're not doing a good job of reacting to our target. We're reacting to the golf ball, meaning that we're staring at that thinking golf ball and wishing it to go where we want it to instead of being proactive and looking at the spot we want the ball to land and allowing your brain to just take over and feel that underhand toss so that you can land the ball where you want to. Um, it's a fun way to use it. And, you know, gosh, looking at your target, the ball, your brain might actually know where you want to go. Um, a lot of times uh, I, I see this with People with driver in their hand, they're staring at the ball, staring at the ball, staring at the ball. And then they take a swing and the ball goes all over the place. And they don't quite understand why. Well, your swing basically stopped at the ball. You didn't swing through the ball. Your power, all your your momentum basically stopped at the ball, which means you're slowing down um, instead of accelerating through. So there again, through the ball rather than to the ball. Um, but if you look up at your target, all of a sudden your brain knows, oh, ah! That's where Chris wants to go, so maybe I should swing the club out to that, and the ball (laughs) will go there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Hi, Cale. Before I let you go, i got to ask the question, what's it like being on the practice tee with Tom Patrick every day? It's got to drive you nuts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's lots of fun. We, we poke, we poke fun at each other a lot. Actually, today I, w- I was able to just, you know, ask, ask, may I, may I say something to one of the students who I knew well? But, you know, I learned something every day watching Tom T. And, and I think that's, that's something that is, um, I'm very fortunate to be able to do. Um, the man has an immense amount of knowledge and, and, um, I'm excited for this season because the man who was not into all of the gadgets into, you know, well, I shouldn't say all of the gadgets. He has lots of training aids, but into the technical stuff. He now has a track man, and that's exciting to me because now I'm going to be able to use it, but also to, to, to learn from him. And he's he spent all of the summer, you know, really understanding the numbers and, and putting the numbers to the ball flight and, and seeing both. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of fun to me, but I do. I learn something from him every day. Um, I'm very grateful to him for the opportunity to teach with him. And, um, I, I, he mentioned to me today that he's my number one fan and that he's always promoting me. And I go, I know, but I, I can't let you know that I know. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear what he says because I know he's on tonight, but, um, you know, I'm very, I'm very grateful for Tom Patrick. He, he's, he's giving me a great opportunity and I enjoy being there. Um, even when he does make me a little crazy, (laughs) because I'm sure I make him crazy too. So (laughs) it goes
0: both ways. That's fantastic. Gail, remind our (laughs) listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's over social media.
1: Sure. So it's Gail Graham Golf, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and then uh, gailgramgolf.com. And you can check me out there. Please message me, send me. Uh, questions and, and uh, comments and, um, you know, once a month I'm I'm also in the Naples Daily News with a column, and uh, which has been really fun because I get a lot of feedback from that but um, I'm on all of the social media networks at Gail Graham Golf.
0: Well, Gail, it's always a huge thrill to uh, get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being generous with your time tonight. I hope I get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Well, I look
1: forward to it, Chris, and happy holidays to you and all your listeners.
0: Ah, uh, Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Take care, Gail. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the great Gail Graham. Folks, I tell you, you want to you talk about a huge thrill to get to spend some time with uh, with not, not only a great instructor, someone who was an LPGA tour president, someone who's been in more Hall of Fames than you can shake a stick at. And then on top of that, you you can hear the positivity and the smile in her voice. All of that wrapped together, boy, it doesn't get much better than that, folks. Be sure to check her out online, gailgramgolf.com, and give her a follow on social media, whether it's on Twitter or it's on uh, Instagram. She's a wonderful follow and a wonderful person, and I look forward to the opportunity, hopefully, to catch up with her again real soon.